Praise the Lord. So glad to be in the house of the Lord. Do you like what you feel tonight? Amen. Amen. I feel the presence of the Lord. And I got to tell you, I am so excited. So excited. I, I, in a moment of transparency, full disclosure, Pastor, I absolutely failed on the 40 days of fire. I mean, not, not 100% failed, but I struggled this year. I, there, the past years that we've done it, it's been like I hit it out of the park. I mean, just being modest there, you know. <laughs> And, and it wasn't too bad, but this year, I absolutely just, it tore me up. So whoever talked to pastor about extending it to 21 days, I thank you. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I am so excited about what God has done, what he's doing and what he's going to do. I'm just, I feel the presence of the Lord. I, I see and I hear so much, and I, we've heard it tonight about family. And we are one big family. We don't, may not always agree with each other. We may always, not always like each other. But who all likes their family? They're everybody in their family. Nobody. And that's, you know, we're all, we're all in this together. Yes. And I remember when I was growing up, I would hear that, you know, when my brother hurts in the body that, you know, I would hurt too and, or somebody else would hurt. And I remember growing up thinking, I don't feel that. I'm, you know, I was young. I didn't know. But now... I'm getting older, maybe wiser, I don't know, and I feel it. When Brother Bill Hitchcock's hurting, his back's hurting, I, I pray for him. I, I, you know, when somebody else, Brother Tracy Keys, is going through his, his infirmity or Brother Galoni, it's like, my God, I feel it. I don't feel it exactly like the way they do, but I, I weep for you. I pray for you, and it's like, man, it just hits right here. Anybody else feel that way, or is it just, am I a softie? Hey, man, we're all, we're all part of the body, so I, I just... I. I'm excited about what the Lord's doing and what he's going to do, and he's going to do great things. I truly believe that. I give honor to our pastor and first lady tonight. Thank them for allowing me to speak. It's truly an honor and a privilege. And I was told, because you hit it out of the park last week, and somebody said that's going to be hard to beat. And they said if I spin around three times, then I'll have outdone you. So I probably won't do that because I'll break my ankle. So um, I give honor to Bishop and Sister Joe Strand. Absolutely love these people. Um, I always enjoy it when, when the bishop speaks words of wisdom in the men's uh, meeting once a month. I always enjoy what you have to say. It's always insightful, and I appreciate that. Sister Jostrand, love you. You remind me of my great-grandma. I seen you cut. I have a soft spot right here for you. Never told you that before, but I do. You remind me of my great-grandma Holbrook. Um, I saw you about a month or two ago, grab a hold of pastor, and you come over here and you cut the rug. And I remember my grandma Holbrook, when the Holy Ghost would hit her, I was little and there was no place to go. And she would shimmy down that pew, and I, my eyes, the bigger, closer she got, the bigger my eyes got. And I, as soon as she felt my leg, she would bounce the other way. And, but anyways, love you all, appreciate you. Um, so enough about that. Amen. Tonight... Uh, I want to speak about something that the Lord has laid upon my heart. He laid it upon my heart some time ago. And uh, my prayer tonight is that, that I can get it from here to here adequately. Um, I don't doubt God. I don't doubt anything that God can do. I, and I, I don't doubt myself. But sometimes my words will, it'll not come out the way that I want it to. So I pray tonight that the word will go forth. Um, and it, it'll take root and take seed into our hearts and our spirits. Have you ever had those moments in your life when you 
had paused and said, wow, that, that, I didn't think that through quite all the way. <laughs> or those times in your life when you said, what in the world did I get myself into? Or, wow, that got bad fast. <laughs> Anybody ever been there? So let me show you what I meant, real, what I'm talking about real quick. Um, and we, I think we've all had those moments, where, whether we want to believe it or not. And I, I've had a couple of those. And one of them was actually last year in October, and I'll get to that in just a minute. Um, but put up the first slide, Brother Justin. Yeah, cafeteria worker. I remember when I was in fifth grade, Thornville Elementary, uh, I heard one person clap. Amen. Uh, I, I remember that it was such an honor to be a cafeteria worker if you were a student. And I always wanted to aspire to be a cafeteria worker. And you got out of class like a half hour before everybody else. You went down and you ate free food. And not only did you get the normal serving of food, but you got extras. You got more. And it didn't cost you anything. And obviously, you know, I, I do like to eat. So it was a win-win until the part that I didn't realize came upon me. And that was when everybody else had been served and everybody else went to recess that I had to stay behind and do dishes and clean the, clean the silverware and get it washed and wash the tables off and sweep up. And I'm like, wow, I did not think this through right. Just, you know, I, and I couldn't get out of it. You had to do it for like three months at a time. And it was just like, oh, man, I didn't think that through. Next slide, Brother Justin. I remember 25, 28 years ago when I had told my mom and dad, hey, I'm going to the Marines. And uh, mom tried to talk me out of it. Dad didn't say a whole lot. I think he was glad when I went. Um, and and I, I, I said, hey, I'm going. And... It was just from here to Paris Island, South Carolina, um, and it's like a, at most an hour and a half, maybe plane ride, I don't know. And it, it took like 16 hours to get there. We left in the morning, we got there, and many plane layovers, many plane changes, and, and we, we finally get to the gates, and we get inside the gates. And what they were doing was they was trying to wear us out and make us tired, is what they was doing. But uh, we finally get there, and a gentleman like that, real nice guy, um, <laughs> got onto the bus. And Brother Spires, you probably remember this like it was yesterday. He, he came on the bus in a very nice voice, calmly and collectively, and told me to get off of his bus, just like that right there, and to go out there and stand on those yellow footprints. And it was about the time that I got out there and stood on those yellow footprints that I said to myself, what in the world did I get myself into? Didn't quite think that through all the way, Pastor. Uh, just, it missed, yeah, yeah. And then even more recently, my son invited me to go with the guys on his bachelor party. And I, I, I wanted to go, but I didn't want to go because I didn't want to be the old guy that was, you know, weighing everybody down. But I wanted to be there and be with my son and be a part of it. And I was so thankful that he invited me to go. And, and I said, well, where are we going? And they're like, we're going indoor rock wall climbing. <laughs> Sounds great, right? Sounds like a lot of fun. I'm in there. Sign me up. And uh, I, I know how to climb. 
I, I was in the Marines. I know how to climb rocks, cliffs, mountains. I know how to repel. I know how to go up. I know how to come down. I know how to do it right because remember, I've been there, done that. So, real quick story. We get there. The guy, you know, there's, uh, who all went? Where are the guys that went? Stand up if you would real quick. If you went, Josiah, Joey, Carter, wherever he's at, brother uh, Josh, I don't know who all. There was like a dozen of us that went. And uh, you can sit down. And so they, before you were allowed to climb this rock wall that's like 500 feet tall, you had to go through this safety course. And what they did was you had to climb up like 1,500 feet and kind of, they had this harness on you that you would fall backwards and it would catch you and gently lower you down at a nice controlled manner and everything's fine. And so they said, everybody's got to do it or you can't do it if you don't go, you know, you don't go through this course. And, and so I, I, somebody went first, I think Josh maybe went first or Joey and then Josh and then nobody would go. And I'm like, all right, I'll do it. Nobody else will do it. Because remember, I know what I'm doing, right? <laughs> so I get up this wall, I get this harness on, I get up the wall, I shimmy up there and I get up like, like 300 feet and I said, is this high enough? And he's like, yeah. And I said, just fall back, right? And he's yeah, yeah, just fall back. It's, you know, you got it. And I'm like, okay. Well, I forgot that I weigh about 80 pounds more than what I did when I was 20 years old. And I'm a lot more top heavy than what I was then. And so when I let go of the wall and I pushed myself back the way that I had been trained, I ended up something like that, upside down. And I got to that point where I was falling back. I was like, oh, this is not good. Jesus, help me. But it was too late because momentum had grabbed hold of my heaviness and gravity prevailed. And I came down at a slow rate, upside down. And all I could hear was these young men laughing hysterically at me. I'm glad nobody got a picture or a video. But uh, yeah, that was, didn't quite think that through all the way. Anybody ever been there? All right, a couple of us have. But we've all gotten into those times, and, and, and we've all got the funny ones. They're hysterical. We laugh at them, and uh, they're, they're a good time. But what about those times that's not so funny? What about those times that's actually the opposite of being pretty funny? It's pretty serious. What about those times in our life that we get somewhere, no matter where we're at, no matter what the circumstance is, and we say to ourselves, how in the world did I get here? How in the world did I get down this path that I went down and now I'm in a place that I don't know how to get out of? I'm stuck. I'm stuck in this place, I'm, I'm stuck in, a, in a, a position, I'm stuck in this moment in my life that I never thought it would happen to me. I never thought that, that it would be me that had to deal with this. I've heard about other people dealing with it, and I've heard about other people going through this, and, and that's them, but I never thought it would happen to me. Don't raise your hand, I know we've probably all been there, and most of us have. It's okay, we're family. How did I get here and, and how did this happen to me? And, and better yet, how do I get out of where I'm at? How do I break free of what I've got myself into? And, and how do I get out of this place that I'm in in my life? 
We know him as the young man whose father didn't think that he was good enough or fit enough to be anointed king when the prophet came looking for a king. All the other brothers came and they passed before the prophet. And, and the prophet asked the dad, are, are you have anybody else? The biggest and the best had already passed in front of him. The, the big strong guy, the, the eldest, and it went down from top to bottom. They had all passed through and he had been forgotten about. Or had he? I don't know. But the prophet asked him, do you have anybody else? And he said, oh yeah, there is, there is one other young man. He's out tending the flock. And they brought him, they brought him before, and they brought him uh, before the prophet, and he was anointed. And, and they, he was the guy that defeated the Philistine champion we know as Goliath. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, little old David that nobody knew that came out of obscurity defeated big bad Goliath. The young man that Saul immediately took underneath his wing and, and wanted to be close to him and wanted him right up underneath of him and, and it was his best friend and, and he was there because he had, had set the people free would soon turn on him when the ladies started to sing, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul would get jealous and want to kill David and David would have to end up fleeing from Saul. David fleeing from Saul, fleeing from the man who had taken him under his wing. The same David who would establish his own army his own band of men that would fight for him and fight for him and they would go and, and destroy the enemy and destroy these other armies. The men that were close to him, the men that loved him and that would give their life for him would soon turn on him when their wives and their families were taken and they would want to stone him. That very same David. David was very vocal if you read the book of Psalms about the ups and the downs of his life. And I don't want to go through all the ups and downs of David's life. I don't want to account for everything. Read First and Second Samuel and read the book of Psalms and you'll get a clear picture of what was going on with David. The same David that was mighty in battle. The same David that was a great king. The same David that was a skilled musician and a poet and a singer. Experienced life's highest highs and life's lowest lows. That very, very same David. He was very transparent about how he felt and what was going on in his heart and what was going on in his mind. Let's go to Psalms chapter 69, verse 14 and 15. He said, deliver me out of the mire. And let me not sink, let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of the deep waters. David felt like he was sinking. He felt like the waters were going to overflow him. David felt like there was no way out. There's a scripture that says that he felt like the grave was going to swallow him up or the pit was going to swallow him up. And numerous times in the book of David, he acknowledges his distress. He says how he feels. He lets us know what's going on in his mind and in his heart at that time. Psalms 25 verse 16 and 17 says, Turn thee unto me and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring me out of my distresses. Anybody ever been there? 
Anybody ever felt like life is chewing you up and ready to spit you out? Have you ever felt like the grave is about ready to just consume you? You felt like you're about ready to lose your mind because of what you're going through? That's where David was at. Read, read first and second Samuel. Read about Bathsheba and about the mistakes that he made. And he has an illegitimate child. And, and oh, don't forget that he had Bathsheba's husband slain because he was trying to hide his indiscretion. Ups and downs, highs and lows. He found himself in situations that were overwhelming. And he was giving us a clear picture of where he was at. In his mind and in his heart and where he was at emotionally, he felt desolate and he felt alone. He felt like the pit. He felt like the grave at times was about ready to swallow him up. At that particular time in his life, this is how he felt. Desolate and alone. And like David, we too find ourselves in situations, whether they be of our own making. We've all been there. We've all messed up. Whether they be of our own making or it's just a place in life that we are at or it's a place that, place that God has brought us to where we feel like the enemy is just coming in like a flood. We feel like we're just a punching bag for the enemy. We feel like we, can't, we don't know if we're coming or going. We don't know if we're upside or downside. We're in a moment of distress. We feel like we're overwhelmed. We feel like the floodwaters are coming in and the deep is about ready to consume us. We get trapped in our own mind and we get trapped in our own emotions. Our mind wanders. Our emotions get the best of us and we just get all bound up inside in our mind thinking, well, what did she really mean when she said that? Or what was he saying when he said that? Or... Even worse, the enemy puts a thought into our mind. It's, it's not our own, and it just consumes us. And that thought just turns into a big ball of yarn. That emotion that just came out of nowhere just, came, just blindsides us. What in the world is going on? We get trapped in our own thoughts and trapped in our own emotions. And if we're not careful, we'll feel like the floodwaters are going to overflow us. We'll feel like the grave is about ready to consume us, just like David. David was a wreck. He was a mess. He was a man after God's own heart, but David was flawed. He made mistakes. Trapped in a pit, seemingly with no way out. I would say that David didn't do himself any favors. Perhaps he brought up a lot of it on its own, on his own. He made some mistakes. He messed up. And I, I don't want to be his judge about his indiscretions. I don't want to sit here and, and, and act like I'm holier than thou. I'm not doing that at all. But I'm saying David didn't help himself, and sometimes we don't either. But what about those times when we're, it's not us? What about those times when it's, we didn't make the mistake? And what about those times when we're doing our best to live a life that's pleasing to God? When we're living a life to be holy and acceptable, when we're living a life that our, we're trying our best to make sure our garment is spotless and without wrinkle, and life deals us a hand 
Life deals us a blow that we never saw coming. Life blindsides us. The enemy just pelts us and hits us. And we're doing, about, are doing our best and we're doing everything that we can to serve the Lord. Kind of like Joseph. Joseph, he, he was, he, and pastor, I failed. I got to tell you, I failed when, when we did the Joseph Esther conference. Uh, I never fully understood what was going on with Joseph, even after reading the books and even after helping teach and even after all that stuff. It's like it's just starting to come crystal clear to me about what was going on with Joseph. It really wasn't about Joseph at all. I mean, yeah, he was there. Yeah, he was involved, but it really didn't have anything to do with him. He was just the, the player. Thank you. God was just setting him up to help out his family and a whole nation. But Joseph, here he is doing what's right, doing what God has called him to do. He's hated by his brothers. He's thrown into a pit. He's sold into slavery. Finally, he gets out and he starts to gain favor with Pharaoh. And here comes a woman. Why is it always a woman? Okay. And he did nothing wrong. He did the right thing. He retained his integrity. And where does he find himself at? He finds himself in a prison. He had done nothing wrong. Paul and Silas, preaching and teaching, and there's a lady following him around that's got an unclean spirit in her, messing with them. And what do they do? They cast out the unclean spirit. And where do they find themselves at? They find themselves in prison. They're just doing what they know to do. They're just doing what's right. They're just doing everything that they can to serve the Lord, and they end up in prison. Well, guess who else found themselves in prison? David. King David. Let's turn to chapter, uh, Psalms chapter 142, verse uh, 6 and 7. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteousness the righteousness shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. I don't know why David felt like he was in prison. I don't know what was going on at that particular time when he wrote that particular verse. But David felt like his soul was in prison. He probably felt emotionally like he was a wreck, like he was about ready to lose it. He was depressed. He was oppressed. He felt like he had no hope. Or he did have a hope, and he knew that it was God because he said, God, deliver me from this prison. He said, attend unto my cry, and have you ever cried unto the Lord in your time of distress? David knew what to do. Da David knew where to turn. He knew who to go to. He said, Lord, deliver me from my distress. He was feeling oppressed and depressed, and he was feeling pretty low right now. And I would just like to pause real quick and say to be careful about how, well, how much you let your feelings influence you. Because your, your feelings will they'll deceive you. Bring my soul out of prison. These were David's words. This is how he was feeling. This is where he was at. This is how he was seeing the picture. I like reading about David. And I like reading the book of Psalms because David was very real with where he was at. He was very transparent with what was going on in his life and how he felt. 
He was very transparent about his highs and his lows. And I know we never have any of those problems. I know we never have things that we have to battle and we have issues that we have to go through. And we're pretty good at putting on a facade and, and acting like everything's okay. I was talking to somebody this afternoon, I, I won't say their name, but I was telling them about my wife and I when the first, how many years? First, how long, we've been married 25 years. The first 12 years of our marriage, I was about ready to get a divorce. And she knows it. There's a whole testimony that goes along with this. I'm not telling, you, telling her anything she doesn't know. I was about ready to, I told my grandma, as soon as Josh turns 18, I am done. I'm gone. I'm out of there. But we'd come to church and we'd put on a facade like everything's okay. Everything's fine. And that's what we do. We put on a facade and we put a smile on our face and we clap our hands at the right time and we lift our hands at the right time and we say amen and hallelujah at the right time. And we act like everything's okay while all the while we're just a mess on the inside. We're not being real with how we are. We're not being real with where we're at. And, and, uh, and it's, it's so easy to put on a facade, to put on a face, and everybody thinks it's okay. Everybody thinks you're fine while you're just a mess inside. Trapped in a pit and locked in up in your own mind and you're trapped in a prison and locked up in your own feelings and you're trapped in, in your thoughts and your emotions and it seems like there's no way out like you can't get out what are you saying brother Garza where, where, where are you going with this I've, I've seen more in the last five years than I have ever seen before I've seen more people dealing with anxiety I've seen more people dealing with depression I've seen more people dealing with addiction. I've seen more people dealing with spiritual battles than I ever have before. I see it at work all the time. Somebody tells me I have anxiety issues or I have to take medicine for anxiety or I have to take medicine for depression or I have this addiction or I have that addiction. I've seen it more now than I ever have before. And I don't know if it's just because of my position at work or where I'm at in life or what God is allowing me to see or what God is allowing is showing me. But I've seen it more now than I ever have before. And I've got to tell you, I get a little upset about it. And I'm not throwing stones in a glass house. We all have our own issues. I've, I've spent more time on that purple couch in your office than probably anybody. I have issues too, but I see it every day in my friends and in my family and, and my co-workers that people deal with anxiety and depression, and I am sick of it. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of people being locked up in their minds when their thoughts are going crazy and they, their emotions, they feel like they're a ball of nerves about ready to bust out. They, they have no hope, they have no help, and they don't know where to turn. I'm tired of it. Anxiety, depression, addiction, oppression, people dealing with identity issues about who they are in Christ, and they're dealing with their self-worth. Who I am in Christ, or does God really love me? Yes, God loves you. 
You are a child of the king. You are an heir to the throne. And I'd say that most that I have spoken to are on some kind of medication for their anxiety. And I'm not saying don't do it. Go see your doctor and take your medicine. But I want to tell you tonight, don't forget about God. Amen. Don't forget about God and this whole equation. Don't forget that he's the one that hung on the cross and died. That he's the one that took the stripes on the back and the crown of thorns on his head. He's the one that hung on the cross and died for you and I. Don't forget about God. He is our way of escape. Yes, I know there's some times that we have to get help. And I know there's some times that we have to go talk to somebody. And there's nothing wrong with that. But don't forget about Jesus. The one that hung and died on that old rugged wooden cross. The one that gave his life for you and I. But he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we were healed. It's healing, made whole, touches us. The price was prayed some, paid some 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary on an old rugged wooden cross. The song says, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by grace that I received my sight. The song says, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame, and I love that old cross, where the dearest and the best for a world of lost sinners was slain. You can try to carry it on your own. You can try to defeat whatever giant stands in front of you on your own. You can try to destroy the stronghold on your own. You can try to overcome the addiction on your own. You can try to overcome the depression on your own. And chances are you're going to fail and you're going to go to bed tired and weak and wore out every night because you tried to do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. You'll end up tired, depressed, and defeated. But if you could just find your way to the cross, if you can just find your way to the hem of his garment, if you can just find your way to the altar, if you can just find your way to a place in prayer, and give it to Jesus. He will meet you there. He will transform you. He will touch you and change your life because there's peace, there's strength, there's joy, there's healing, and there's deliverance in Jesus. He's the answer for what's going on today. He's the answer for all of life's cares and all of life's toils and all of life's problems. It's Jesus. Psalms chapter 3 and verse 8 says that salvation belongs to the Lord. David realized that it wasn't of himself, that he realized that it wasn't in those around him. He realized that it wasn't even in his family, but his salvation, his victory came from Jesus. His victory came from the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57 says, But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I can't do it on my own. Right. 
I can't defeat my giants on my own. I can't destroy the strongholds that are in my mind and that are in my heart. I can't do it on my own. I gave up on that a long time ago. Because I'm not strong enough on my own. I've got to give it to Jesus. I've got to go to him. You can't do it on your own. But if we will turn to God, if we will cast our cares upon him, if we will quit trying to defeat it on our own, quit trying to destroy it on our own and give it to the one who can, we will be victorious. We will be a winner. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 says, Come to me, come unto me, all ye that are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The answer is God. It's, it's simple. It's so easy. But sometimes it's the hardest thing to do because sometimes we think we know best. It's in God. We could all stand tonight. Mark chapter 5 tells the story of a man who was possessed with an unclean spirit. And when confronted, the spirit said that we are many, our name's Legion. There was hundreds of thousands of spirits, unclean, whatever. But what I like about the story is, is, and I'm not saying anybody here is possessed tonight. I'm not saying anybody here has got whatever going on in your life. I, I'm not saying that. But what I like about this story so much is it doesn't matter what we have going on in our life, what is trying to weigh us down, what the enemy is trying to tell us doesn't matter how big your anxiety is it doesn't matter how big your depression is it doesn't matter how big your addiction is or what it is that you're facing in life what you're going through doesn't matter if you want to be free you can be free if that man had saw Jesus and had turned around and went back into the tomb he would have never been set free if he had turned around and went the other way he probably would have spent the rest of his life tormented with all that was going on with him. But the scripture says that when he saw Jesus afar off, that he ran to Jesus. I don't care what your issue is. I don't care what you're going through, what you're battling in your mind and your emotions. If you can get out of your way, if you can swallow your pride and just turn to Jesus. Yes. He's going to meet you right where you're at. He sees you where you're at. He knows what you're, where, you're, where you're at. And he knows what you're going through. And all he's waiting on is for you just to make that step towards him. And he will meet you where you're at. If you find yourself tonight in a, a pit, if you find yourself in a prison, if you find yourself somewhere in life that you don't know how you got there, and you're looking for a way out. The altar is open. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He's got the answer. He'll set you free. He'll bind up your wounds. He'll mend your broken heart. He will move and work in ways that you have never seen before. Let's come. Let's come to the altar and talk. Let's talk to the Lord. Let's... 
let God move and work in our hearts and in our lives and our minds and what we're going through and cast our cares upon him.